time, we'd like to welcome our KKVV listeners to the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church Sabbath program already in progress. And we would like to invite you out to come visit with us. We are located at 1720 North J Street on the corner of J Street and Doolittle. If in you're hearing the service today or any other service you would like to receive a copy of, please write to us at that same address. If you would like to tune in to our service on the internet, tune in to www.abundantlifelv.org. Our speaker today is one of our associate pastors and our youth pastor, Pastor Russell Lewars. He is truly a man of God. The Lord has blessed him with the power to deliver the word in a mighty way. And we look forward to the message the Lord has for us through him today. After another special selection by our mass choir under the direction of Sister Robin Brown, the next voice you will hear will be that of Pastor Russell Lewars. Hear ye him.
church say amen. amen I have a confession I don't know how I kept myself down there I felt like jumping up but I knew somebody might have told on me so I kept myself quiet but I thought somebody out there would just jump up and say my help comes from the Lord my 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 Sister Robin, thank you so much. Dr. Ellis, bless your heart. Amen. Amen. Jesus is a rock in our weary land. A shelter in the time of storm. Mm. Man, I, I, I thought the choir couldn't do, outdo itself after the first two. I was saying, no, they can't top those two. Mm -mm -mm. But they did. And my heart is blessed, and I hope you today have some hope, because that's what we need in times like these. Turn your Bibles over there to Luke, Luke the 14th chapter, Luke the 14th chapter, Luke the 14th chapter, verse 25. 
If you have found it, say amen. amen. The Bible says, verse 25, And great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I just want to share with you on the subject, count the cost. Count the cost. Let's pray. Father, sovereign Lord, you are bigger than all our problems. Bigger than all the things that challenge us from day to day. Holy Spirit, continue to do what you do best and inspire us today. Lead us into this study now, we pray. In the name of Jesus, let the church say, Amen. Amen. Count, count the cost. March Madness 2003 would not be the typical happy hour. It changed the face of history forever. When the American pastime was postponed for patriotism and the lamb-like U.S. roared war on Iraq. Minimally, the troops' mission neutralize Al-Qaeda and infiltrate its insurgents dismantle weapons of mass destruction, and establish a democracy. Many analysts and strategists projected the troops would be greeted as liberators. It should have been a decisive victory. An in-and-out drive-through, a cakewalk, if you please. Yet six Years later, over 4,000 U.S. soldiers have died in combat. Six years later, a conservative figure of half a million Iraqis dead and many more disillusioned and displaced. Six years later, weapons of mass destruction have not been found. Six years later, we are told the U.S. spends $10 billion a month in Iraq on the war on terror. Six years later, Al-Qaeda has become a household name, and this group has increased in size and thirst for destruction and anarchy. Six years later, there have just been little signs of hope that hangs by a thread. And there's more. We are all face, we all face a dreary and frightening economy where the dollar makes no sense. And like a drowning man grasps at a straw, many long for a way and a ray of hope. Yet, not many are persuaded. There is an immediate miracle. People cannot help but think that the world does not have much time left before it implodes or craters on itself. And the forecast intimates more gloom looms on the horizon. No surprise there. Luke chapter 21 verse 26 tells us the heart's Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. 
To count the cost means start to understand how badly something has affected or will affect your destiny. Hindsight is 2020. And the author Daniel Defoe in the book Robinson Crusoe is right. Crusoe, in retrospection on the journey of his life, said, and I quote, This grieved me heartily, and now I saw, though too late, though too late, the folly of beginning a work before we count the cost, and before we judge rightly of our own strength to go through with it. Because the past is a prologue to our future, life teaches most forcefully and unrelentingly that we must count the cost. Count the cost. When we allow racial slurs to go by without apprehension, it means we have not learned to count the cost. When we hear today outright defamation and murder of character, Words such as terrorist, not one of us, Arab, kill him. It is what it is. We are feeding the most unhinged elements of this society, the red meat of hate, instigating the venom of violence. We have not learned to count the cost. Dr. Luke invites us in a terrific and dramatic conversation, a large group the Bible says, a great multitude, if you pleased, followed Jesus. Maybe anticipating their next opportunity to hear a word from the prophet. You see, Luke does not say exactly why they followed him. But the ministry of Jesus utters eloquently in unequivocal tones his many wonders and signs. These people know, as Luke 4, 36, 36 tells us, with authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. These people know, Luke tells us in 4, 41, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. These people know that at the word of Jesus, at the word of Jesus, Demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. These people know that at the word of Jesus to let down the net, Peter's boat almost sank with a catch. These people know that lepers were healed. A paralytic was not only healed but forgiven of his sins. The people know that he would heal on the Sabbath. Luke tells us in 619 that the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Amen. Oh, today if someone would just reach out and touch him, just a touch can renew a broken spirit. Maybe you need a cleansing touch. Maybe a liberating touch, a reassuring touch, a healing touch. I don't know how it's done. All I know is that there is power coming from him. Amen. Like any of the multitudes that followed Jesus, they bore one distinctive mark of being a mixed multitude. Just like that which left God's chosen out of Egypt, but would not make the promised land. You want to be a disciple? Count the cost. First, Jesus underscores the cost of discipleship. You see, it cuts to the core of our beings. It touches that which we value most, the darling of our hearts and the precious of our souls, our money, our families, our relationships, our possessions, our lives. Yeah? It takes your hands, one singer says, and your head. And your heart, it takes your all. It takes your total surrender to serve the Lord. It takes your time and your means and your prayers lest you fall. It takes everything, he says, to serve the Lord. 
let's flip the script a little bit as I heard the song. I thought to myself, maybe it could be sounded this way. Don't bear his name if you live in shame. And if you want to be seen, you must be clean. Yes, you heard right. Luke 14 verse 26. Luke 14 verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's what it says. Yes, you heard right. Luke says and does mention a love that hates. Mm. A love that hates. These words of Jesus are stunning and the crowd reels in shock. You see, one can go along with Jesus. Go along with Jesus and not be a disciple. What does Jesus mean when he says that one cannot be his disciple without hating? In Genesis chapter 29, we find the story of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. We know that Jacob was conned into the first marriage. Laban's deception. In verse 30, we are told that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. In verse 31, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. In verse 33, Leah named her son Simeon because she said, The Lord has heard that I am unloved. This last term, unloved, literally means hated. Rachel was loved more than Leah. Leah was unloved. Leah was hated. To be hated here is to be loved less than another. Another one, Exodus 20, the same sense of hate is found. Exodus chapter 20, God is giving Israel the law. He commands, commands rather Israel to have not other gods before him. In verse 5, Exodus chapter 20, however God says, you shall not worship them or serve them other gods, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. To have other gods, my brothers and sisters, friends at home, is to love them above God. To have other gods is to hate God. Finally, in Romans 9.30, Paul 13, Paul borrows from Malachi 1 verse 2. Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. We know that God chose Jacob above Esau and gave Jacob the preeminence and blessings that come to the oldest son. But God did not hate Esau the way we think of hate. God hated Esau in the sense that he loved Jacob more. Matthew speaks of loving loved ones more than the Lord in Matthew 10, 37 to 39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake, shall find it. Jesus is saying today that in order to be his disciple, men and women, boys and girls, must love Christ more than their parents, more than their spouses, more than their children, more than their sisters and brothers. Really? Really? Well... It is better never to start than not to continue. And therefore, before we start, we must consider what it is to continue. It is acting rationally. Consider that Satan shows his best, watch it now, but hides his worst. His best will never counteract his worst. And I'm glad today that Jesus lays the cards on the table no fine print no hidden agenda no hidden fees no 
ulterior motives, no variable interest rate, no read between the lines. There is clarity and transparency with Jesus. Not only does Jesus underscore the cost of discipleship, he equips those he calls. When we take upon us, my friends today, the profession of religion, we are like a man that undertakes to build a tower. And therefore must consider the expense of it. Which of you, 28 to 30, intending to, of Luke, to build a tower or stately house for himself, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? Our commitment to our relationship with Christ is like to build a tower. Jesus uses the picture of a builder. Understand that the Christian builder is building for eternity on the landscape of eternal life. To count the cost means it will cost your lusts. Mm. It will cost you a life of self-denial and watchfulness and a constant course of holiness. It costs you less time in front of a television and more time in the Word. Maybe if we care for our Bibles as we treat our cell phones, our spiritual journey would be more fulfilling and exhilarating. Less time texting and reading the text. Perhaps it may cost you your reputation or a hookup with friends. All that is there to you in this world, even your life. In other words, quitting jobs that interfere with holy living. Shelving friends who seek to lead you astray. Changing lifestyles. Not easy. Not easy. Not easy. Undeniably, there are staggering repercussions when you don't count the cost. The rich young ruler, the Bible tells us, left Jesus sorrowful. Peter, before his conversion, openly denied his Lord. The disciples forsook him and fled. Judas betrayed him. Herod ignored him. Pilate admired his piety. But they all had to count the cost. Finally, as disciples, we go to war. And there are casualties in war. And so, he empowers us, his disciples, to go through the war. We must consider the hazard of it and the difficulties that are to be encountered. Verse 31 and 32 tells us that. They tell us that. There may be casualties. Sometimes you may find yourself in the minefield of adversity, outnumbered and outgunned. Yes, in the minefield of adversity, but we're still here. Outnumbered, but we're still here. Outgunned. But we're still here. We endure the hardness of a seasoned, seasoned soldier. The banner of Prince Emmanuel. We are more than conquerors. When we count the cost, the Lord's church does not suffer neglect. Attendance to the worship experience is never sporadic. Attendance, I said, to the worship experience is never sporadic. Service rendered is never minimal. Discipleship is never practiced only when convenient. In this time of easy believism and sidelineism, we must count the cost. Condemnation took place on July 6, 1415. In the presence of of the solemn assembly of the council in the cathedral. After the performance of high mass and liturgy, John Huss was led into the church. The Bishop of Lodi delivered an oration on the duty of eradicating heresy. 
Then some statements of Huss and Wycliffe and a report of his trial were read. Huss protested loudly several times, and when his appeal to Christ was rejected as a condemnable heresy, he exclaimed, O God and Lord, now the council condemns even your own act and your own law as heresy. Since you lay your cause before the Father, your Father as a just judge, as an example for us whenever we are sorely oppressed. Well, an Italian prelate our minister pronounced the sentence of condemnation upon Huss and his writings. Again, Huss protested loudly, saying that even at this hour, he did not wish anything but to be convinced from Holy Scripture. Talking about count the cost. He fell upon his knees and asked God with a loud voice to forgive all his enemies. Then followed his degradation, but was enrobed in priestly vestments and again asked to recant, to confess. Again, Huss refused. With curses, his ornaments were taken from him. His priestly robe was destroyed, and the sentence was pronounced that the church had deprived him of all rights and delivered him to the secular powers. Then a high paper hat was placed on his head, Heretic. Thus Huss was led away to the stake under a strong guard of armed men. At the place of execution, he knelt again, spread out his arms, and prayed aloud. Some of the people asked that a confessor should be given him. But a rude priest exclaimed, a heretic should neither be heard or given a confessor. The executioners stripped him of his clothes and tied his hands behind his back with robes and his neck with a chain to a stake around which wood and straw had been piled up so that it covered him to the neck. Still at the last moment now, the Imperial Marshal von Papenheim in the presence of the Count asked him to save his life by recanting or confession. Huss declined with words, God is my witness, that I've never taught that which I have been accused by false witnesses. In the truth of the gospel which I've written, taught, and preached, I will die today with gladness. Well, great speech. It didn't convince many. Thereupon the fire was kindled with John Wycliffe's own manuscripts used as kindling for the fire. With uplifted voice, her son Christ, thou son of living God, have mercy upon me. Until the fire silenced his praise, this man died roasting away in the name of Jesus. Amen. But this man died knowing he would live because he counted the cost. The great paradox of life, dying to live. Like Christ in heaven, in Gethsemane, on the cross, on resurrection morning, we must count the cost. When we count the cost today, friends, we are unawed by popular opinion unseduced by flattery, undisbayed by disaster. We confront life with courage and death with unfettered hope. Are you still interested? Count the cost. Everything that comes forth in our lives is for his purpose. Yes, we are called for a special purpose in this generation. Yes, the death of John Huss is both inspiring and intriguing, but that does not change the dynamic of my soul's salvation. After all, Huss is just a man, a simple man. But Huss read of an afternoon, friends today, that mysteriously turned to darkness. Justice was on time, but mercy showed up late. The light of hope, it seems, was about to fade, and the lamp of faith to flicker. Yet hope 
was born amidst disappointment, sorrow, and despair. Jesus was alone. He was alone, tried, and convicted in a mockery of a religious trial alone. Alone on the cross. Alone. Deserted by friends. Alone. 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 Laid him in the tomb. Alone. 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 But Hus banked all his all on a man. A special kind of a man. A God-man. Divinity wrapped up with humanity. A man. Hus knew also that this same Jesus had the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He had hope. That's why he sang Christ. Thou son of the living God, have mercy upon me in the smoke and crackling flames of the fire. But you and I too can sing today. We all can sing because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. You may not have that literal fire, but when you go through your fiery trial, as you count the cost, you also can sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And now all fear is gone. Count the cost. Today, my brothers and sisters, we're left to consider, as with John Huss, as he was roasting in the fire, singing, having up his praise on. He was silenced, not by a financial climate. He was silenced, not by depression or despair. He was silenced by the fire. But that could not snuff out the hope that John Huss had. His hope was in Jesus. Discipleship means to count the cost. Let us pray. Our God today, Lord, we did not just come here to Have a fantastic time in the Holy Spirit. We didn't just come by here in this building on holy ground in your presence. Just to give our dues. Lord, we didn't just come here today because we had to. But we came here knowing, oh God... That a walk with you takes commitment. And sometimes the enemy sends his fiery darts against us. But Father, we know that you are a shield against the attack of the enemy. So Father, we feel now that as we look upon you, our lives will be transformed. That we will never ever be the same. And that Lord today, we laid all our burdens at your feet. So now, oh God, we have decided to follow Jesus. We have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. We will follow Jesus. While we're still praying, I wonder if there's someone here today who having heard the sermon, having heard the voice of Jesus speaking to the multitude, expressing what it means to follow him.
not a cakewalk. Not that simple just coming to church. I wonder if someone here today would like to make a fresh start with Jesus. And if you are that someone being moved by the Holy Spirit, don't wrestle with him. Allow him to lead you. And this is what I want you to do. Simply, all you have to do today is to make a statement for Jesus. What's that statement, you ask? Simply, just raise your hand, saying today, Lord Jesus, my best friend, the lover of my soul, I, I have decided to follow Jesus. Is there someone here today like that? For the first time in your life. I want to be sure I'm asking you. And making it clear what I'm asking you. You have, don't have a relationship with Jesus. For the very first time in your life. Today. Is there someone. Who wants to make a difference today. I see your hand. See that hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. And the church is praying. That means the power of God is moving. Is there someone else today? While the church, the heads are bowed and the eyes are closed. And they are praying. You have decided to follow Jesus. You just want to recommit today. Raise your hand. You want to recommit to God today. Amen. I'm going to close this prayer. I see that hand. Amen. Courageous of you. I see another hand. Praise the Lord. Amen. I see your hand. Let's pray. Father, I paused and your people have sealed the deal, oh God. Some have committed to you and some have recommitted to you today. We have decided to follow you. That's our prayer today, oh God. With thanksgiving, we praise you, we honor you, we love you. Let the church say, Amen. Haven't we been blessed today? The job of a pastor is to just point you in the way. And Pastor Lee was, you have done an excellent job. The choice is yours. Amen, amen. Count the cost. Endure a little trouble and problems from your friends, but make it to glory. But the other cost, deny God and be lost for an eternity. I hope the choices you've made today is to follow Jesus all the way, no matter what the cost is. Let's all stand now for our benediction. Just want to remind you today, unfortunately, we are not having a meal in our fellowship hall. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm coming home with you. In Jesus' name. All right, let's bow our heads. Father God, you have truly blessed us through your manservant today. We know that as time winds down that we have to count the cost because more and more choices are going to have to be made following the traditions of men or following the word of God. 
Lord, I pray that those that are here today, those that have heard on the radio, will choose to follow the word of God no matter what the cost. For we know in the end, victory is ours. The battle is not ours, but it's the Lord's. But the victory can belong to each and every one of us if we choose to follow Jesus. Now, Father, we ask that you bless us all as we leave this place. Take us from here safely, but never from thy presence. And bring us back again at the appointed time and hour. In the wonderful and glorious name of Jesus, all say together, amen and amen. Please be seated.